the government's inadequate response to rising white nationalism is a disgraceful policy failure. The problem oh, yes. is hardly new, and prosecutors have long had a multitude of criminal, criminal statutes. That's an understatement. It should be uh, considered a uh, crime scene. The border should be a crime scene, treated like a crime scene. And uh, crimes against humanity let in the international inspectors that were turned away. Let them investigate this as a crime against humanity. It's at their disposal to confront white supremacist violence, unquote. To see our interview with the ACLU, you can go to democracynow.org. In immigration news, the Biden administration suspended the controversial Trump-era Remain in Thank Mexico you. program. That was so the cool. 2019 policy forced... That's a terrorist clown who was in office for four years. He really, he was, he was the most sadistic, brutal piece of shit that could ever exist. Tens of thousands of asylum seekers to wait in dangerous conditions in crowded, squalid refugee camps across northern Mexico while their cases make their way through U.S. courts. This is asylum seeker Marlene speaking to the advocacy group Pueblo Sin Fronteras, that's people without borders, about facing homelessness with her family after being sent to Mexico. We vividly remember when we arrived to the immigration office in Mexico. They didn't give us a place to sleep or anything to eat. Our children slept on the floor that night. President Biden set to sign an executive order today, speeding delivery of food aid and millions of stimulus checks to families struggling to afford rent, utilities, and groceries. On Thursday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said lawmakers would move immediately on a new COVID-19 relief bill with House passage likely in early February. They should give us... Um retroactive for the past 10 months to 2000 a month like other countries do in labor news the grocery delivery app instacart's laying off nearly 2000 workers including a group of employees from illinois who created the first and only union of instacart workers and inspired others across the country to organize the 10 Illinois employees were in the process of negotiating their first union contract. Mm -hmm. Instacart's reportedly offering right fired off. workers severance pay of just $250. <laughs> in New York, Congress. Yeah, in, in the United States, unions are really busted. Ever since Reagan, he was known as a, a union buster. And uh, they, they pretty much do it like how they do every everything they they make it seem to the poorly educated that um you know they're taking handouts or they're you know the to look down on on um welfare moms for example which is also racism former you know veiled racism Congress member Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez skipped President Biden's inauguration celebrations Wednesday evening to join striking workers at the Hunts Point Produce That's Market nice. in the Bronx. <laughs> workers have been on strike since Sunday demanding better poor. wages. This is a You know, we should all be all those all these um, service industry workers. They are essential. They are um, 
they're being treated like expendable though they all all of those should deserve hazard pay and uh maybe the, the government should pay for it and then um you know companies uh, that would help the companies and it help the people and it would, that would put money back into the economy Ocasio Cortez speaking at the picket line outside Hunt's Market. When you're standing on the ground, you're not just asking for a dollar. You are asking for transformational change for your lives and for the lives of every food worker across this country. She's freaking awesome, man. Food workers across this country. Because there's a lot of things upside down right now in our economy. And union members at the New Yorker magazine went on a 24-hour strike Thursday after denouncing, quote, management's egregious wage proposal and their <laughs> ongoing contract talks. According to the union, the wage proposal includes the right to decrease union members' salaries by up to 20% at any time. In a statement, unionized employees wrote, quote, we're committed to the New Yorker, which why many of us work there for years, even decades, despite low and stagnant wages, however much we may love our jobs. That love is not enough to live on, they wrote. Wow. And that's a New Yorker. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The Quarantine Report. I'm Amy Goodman. On his first full day in office, President Biden unveiled a 198-page national plan to tackle the coronavirus pandemic and ramp up vaccines as the U.S. death toll tops 410,000. This comes after President Trump left Biden with no plan for a national Absolutely vaccine. Absolutely no plan. Biden signed. It says uh, national strategy for the COVID-19 response and pandemic preparedness. Uh, Ten executive orders to create a new national COVID-19 testing board to help schools reopen to mandate international travel. Yeah. Um, I'm for the first one, but against the second one, I, I think that we should just give the students and the um, teachers the year off and, uh, you know, give uh, give laptops to all the kids who, who don't have one and can't afford one. And, um, and go to more of a tutorial system like with the teachers. You know, to Zoom, um, just do tutorial. Go to tutorial, like one-on-one. -on -one. This thing, like, especially little kids, you know, they, don't, they can't. Um, do that at home and uh, give them some more guidance, better guidance. I would, you know, if hit me up if anybody wants. I, I, I'm an Oxford and Berkeley and Tucker Medical University honors graduate and, and a teacher for m many, many years, a couple decades, all different ages. And um, I like to teach um, ESL uh, in other countries so I can learn their language in my free time. Travelers to quarantine upon arrival and to require masks on many forms of interstate transportation. Another order creates a... But no national mandate for masks. Uh, you know, what a chicken. 
Shippo, what's so what's so hard about just saying like no mask, no fucking service, periods anywhere, any public place, wear a fucking mask or you get fined. Find them, even if like twenty bucks, and they have to you know, you get a fine at least, some kind of deterrent, some you know, not too much. Well, I mean. Just like to just it's a slap on the wrist, but it's it you know just to get him to fucking wear a mask. But actually, yeah, it should be more, at least seventy-five bucks, maybe maybe hundred bucks, hundred bucks. If you're not wearing a mask in a public place, so should and the, the you know nobody's modeling. I see a lot of people. And it slips below their nose. Even in Congress, I've seen, seen some of our legislators letting it slip down. <clears throat> and um, there was a Republican who got COVID after he was photographed at a like one of these White House super spreader events. The COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force. Biden also invoked the Defense Production Act to increase COVID-19 testing and the production of vaccine supplies. Today, I'm signing the executive action to use the Defense Production Act and all other available Which is good. This, and no, this should have been done like a year ago, the Defense Production Act, but, he, but fuckface Nazi ass clown refused to do that. And that's um, the Defense Production Act is used to uh, use industries, you know, basically their uh, mass production lines and uh, to say make it millions of masks in a very short period of time. And that's exactly what Taiwan did, actually. That's what they did. They um, totally ramped up production. And they were—they actually gave masks to. They gave us a million masks. Very. <clears throat> Taiwan's awesome. Direct all federal agencies and private industry to accelerate the making of everything that needs to protect, test, vaccinate, and take care of our people. President Biden said a wartime effort is needed to combat the virus. Our national yep. plan launches a full-scale wartime effort to address the supply shortages by ramping up production and protective equipment, syringes, needles, you name it. When I say wartime, people kind of look at me like wartime. Well, as I said last night, four hundred yeah, thousand war on poverty or, or war on drugs or any war. Just like uh, defund the Pentagon right now. No, we're not fighting. Nobody's fighting. Because it died. That's more than a died in all of World War II. We will make sure that science and public scientists and public health experts will speak directly to you. That's why you're going to hear a lot more from Dr. Fauci again, not from the president, but from the real, genuine experts and scientists. We're going to make sure they work free from political interference and they make decisions strictly based on science and health care alone. Science and health alone, not what the political consequences are.
the honest truth is, we're still in a dark winter of this pandemic. It's gonna get worse before it gets better. It's gonna take many months to get where we need to be. On Thursday, the nation's top infectious disease doctor, Anthony Fauci. Many months, uh, it's gonna take him many months. Um, but like if they did it effectively, and model it on what other countries did. To, uh, they found that they it can be contained in 120 days, but you have to do like intensive um, contact tracing and testing, uh, effective testing. And uh, it's just been um, helter-skelter. Fauci spoke to reporters at the White House and was asked about the difference between working under President Trump and President Biden. I don't want to be going back, you know, over history, but it is very clear that there were things that were said, uh, be it regarding things like hydroxychloroquine and other things yeah, like that. Yeah, shooting it up. That really was... He should have been fucking dragged off the stage, first of all, and second of all, removed immediately and sent, you know, removed removed immediately, impeached. That's in, to, to suggest that, a president to suggest that? That's pure insanity. That that would that's a perfect example of fucking insanity. To suggest that people shoot up um, Lysol, was it? It's uncomfortable because they were not based on scientific fact. I can tell you, I I take no pleasure at all in being in a situation of contradicting the president. So of course, actually, I had um, urged him to resign. Resign so he could become a whistleblower. Tell what, you know, this, this, um, because people, hundreds of thousands, 400,000 lives were at stake. It was really something that you didn't feel that you could actually say something and there wouldn't be any repercussions about it. The idea yeah, yeah, that you can quit. Get... I don't understand why he didn't do that. Just quit so he can tell us the truth. It's like, uh, fuck him. He's a, Petty criminal and thug. He's the thug. You know, he's always talking about other people being thugs. No, that's him. He's he projects all the time. It's called projecting. And get up here and talk about what you know, what the evidence, what the science is, and know that's it. Let the science speak. It is somewhat of a liberating feeling. To talk more about the Biden administration's COVID plan, we're joined by Dr. Ashish Shah, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health, previously the director of Harvard University's Global Health Institute. Dr. Jha, welcome back to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us. Can you respond to the series of executive orders that President Biden has just um, unveiled and signed in his first days in office? What by the way, um, some of these would be executive or executive orders that I would uh, I would also sign if I were president. Or significant. Or sidence. Yeah, so first of all, thank you for having me on. Um, you know, if you look at the whole package of activities, it just feels like the federal government is back. The federal government is going to play a constructive and helpful role in this pandemic. This is Dr. Ashish Jha, Brown University. And the pandemic response. And that's critical because the strategy under the Trump team was let every state figure it out on their own and let the and the federal government was largely absent. Uh, there's a series of things here that I think are really important. One of them that has got very little attention is the executive order just to start collecting data in a more systematic way. 
You know, data is the lifeblood of any pandemic response, and we have been hampered by lack of good federal data. We're going to start doing that. But obviously, there's so much more than that. Rejoining WHO, uh, getting our Defense Production Act uh, powers for testing and, and vaccinations. So I'm pretty pleased with the whole package. It's straightforward. It's basic public health. I don't mean to denigrate it by calling it basic public health, but it's, it's sort of science-driven stuff that I wish we had had a year ago. So let's talk about what's happening right now in this country. Uh, you have, what, more than 900,000 vaccines being administered every day, which sounds like a lot, but in fact is not. Here in New York, people are waiting in the freezing cold hour after hour to get a vaccine. They'll sign up for an appointment. They'll get an appointment for a pass date or they'll get an appointment and then that appointment is canceled. Because they're running out because fuckface Nazi asked him he turned down 100 million doses in um, late July. So blame Trump. Hashtag blame Trump. And call your Congress member uh, members and impeachment managers and insist that they remove immediately. We should have removed the asshole. Like, he should never have been able to run for office. He bankrupted casinos. Who the fuck bankrupts casinos, man? <laughs> well, clearly running out of vaccines, not only in New York, but around the country. Can you explain what the use of the Defense Production Act, what so many were calling on Trump to invoke month after month, what it actually could mean? And remember, if you remember, you know, through this shift storm of, of uh, treachery and malevolence, but uh, not only did he uh, turn down funding, remember he just turned down funding and he just told the hospitals that they were, they were lying that they needed that many um, um, not breathalyzers, uh, ventilators, such about the bedtime. But, um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, he told, he knew, he knew in advance. There was, ev there's evidence of the Bob Woodward call February 7th, um, that is, not a not a regular virus, uh, not a regular flu passed through the air. So therefore, you would need to wear a mask, fuckers, and that uh, five percent death rate. And uh, what was the other thing? She made another thing, but uh, then he told the public that it was it was just a democratic hoax. If somebody said, how irresponsible is that? Um, you'd have to admit that that's an understatement. So irresponsible, it's, it's like mass murder, you know? He should be tried for mass murder for all the shit that he did. This guy should be, uh, you know, make use of the, the capital punishment that he brought back. And sedition. Ten years for sedition. Give him a taste of his, you know, give him a taste of his own medicine. He's the one that uh, made that that rule. That's a good one for him. We're talking about what he did. 
yeah, 10 years in prison, that's... Mm, that's lenient, I would say. I think he should be held responsible for the deaths of those five... His supporters! Nobody even said sorry. His they're his fucking radicalized supporters that he that he had um radicalized out right down the street from the Congress January sixth. You know, for weeks he he told everybody to come to DC, it's gonna be wild because they're certifying the election results. He wants the, he wanted them there to overturn to to um Fucking overthrow the government and subvert uh, subvert the elections and and um, they were going to fucking hang li uh, live tweets and hang Nancy Pelosi and hang Mike Pence the fucking his own vice president he sicked his his uh, armed armed insurrectionists of uh, brainwashed traitors. To fight, but uh, combat uh, trial by combat, as Giuliani said, and all these all these fuckers, all these fuckers have to be locked up, all of them, or we won't be able to do do anything. We just lock up maybe one or two of them. It's not really good enough. We need we need to lock up like a hundred twenty, and then, uh, at least, I would say I'll, I heard 138. There were like 138 people signed on to that that uh, specious lawsuit um, in another state. So it was, it was just th it was thrown out on jurisdiction grounds. It's just totally, you know, ridiculous uh, attempt to uh, uh, like create a show trial sort of situation where it looked like he was sued. He, he sued. He he. Uh, they filed sixty lawsuits, right? But there was absolutely zero evidence except for one post-it note. That was their only evidence. One fucking post-it note. Swear to God. Swear to God. Everybody call Congress. Get off your fat, lazy ass. There's sixty million of you unemployed anyway. It's not like you have anything better to do. Turn it into a, a civics course as well. You know, as a teacher, uh, this is a perfect opportunity to to kind of uh, not politicize your kids, uh, to introduce them to uh, you know making these adult decisions to that affect millions and millions and millions of people. You know, one good, one good thing to ask your kids right now, by the way, would be, what would you do if you were president? What do you think? What do you think this country needs? Or, um, and uh, and have them call their your reps, uh, two o two. Two two four three one two and turn this into a uh, turn this into a teaching teaching uh, moment where you know our Congress members need to hear from us too you know they need to hear this we're the majority the majority of Americans 
are uh, fucking sane. Most Americans are fucking sane. Okay? They are at least like 70%. And, uh, well, maybe there's like 10% assholes. <clears throat> Still assholes. <clears throat> and it might be have improved uh, after four years of a fucking neo Nazi and thief. Neo-Nazi traitor that uh, incited insurrection at the end of his, end of his uh, disastrous fucking one term. The most unpopular president in history never um, hit 50, um, 50% approval rating. Never. Uh, he's the only president who never reached a 50, even a 50% approval rating. And so that shows you it was a fucking stolen election. It was stolen. It was, it was stolen by the by him and the Russians. And it was also stolen by the DNC. <laughs> so it gets very uh, complicated. And if we don't have um, this shows us one of the main lessons I've learned from this is um you know, our democracy is like living on borrowed time anyway. There's so many holes in it, like the executive's too powerful, um, and uh, the, the financial institutions and bank stores have too much power, and um, and uh, the the workers don't have any fucking you know rights, and they're we're all being forced to live into poverty, and they they, they haven't raised the raised salaries according to inflation for like 40 50 years so we're living on you know they never they never make it uh, inflation adjustments so that makes us poor and poor and less able to uh, you know survive based on a, a paycheck which is you know seven that's that's like starvation wages it's like seven bucks Seven bucks an hour, some places still in the states. Um. So yeah, let's get back to the news. Could companies and factories that have been closed down? This also involves employment for people. Going back to FDR, a kind of entire public program of actually making these vaccines or parts of the vaccines, either the chemicals or uh, the actual, um, not only the ingredients, but the, what's needed in making the needles and the vaccines. Yeah, absolutely. So um, first of all, the reason yeah, we to do those long lines and cancel the appointments is because of uh, the approach that the Trump administration took uh, through Operation Warp Speed. Operation Warp Speed did have its successes, but also in Operation the last Warp month, Speed. The only reason he wanted it to be out was a couple of days before the election, so he would hopefully get a boost from that. I mean, maybe he did. Probably both. But actually, he he uh, he didn't come through with it. Um, and nobody nobody called him on calls him on that like he said he was gonna uh, there was gonna be a vaccine out a couple days before the election and that did, uh, that was a lie too 
latest that it came actually came out after the election. Mark, uh, they did a terrible job of communicating to states how many vaccines people were going to get. So states would be told, okay, you're going to get 100,000 vaccines, uh, you know, in, in five days, and then two days before the delivery, uh, that would be canceled or would be changed. Made planning for this stuff incredibly uh, difficult. What the Defense Production Act can definitely do is help with up. all of the things that go into getting a vaccine into somebody's arm. So it's not just about the vaccine ingredient itself. It is about the vials. It is about the syringes. The way that these vials are filled, we can often get an extra dose out of them if we have the right vial and the right syringe for this. Just really simple, basic stuff that the Trump administration paid very little attention to, uh, that uh, Mr. Biden's team, we President Biden's team, has been very clear. That's a huge understatement. You know, we're going to start using these uh, understatements to describe what the fuck just happened to us. We got raped, raped by the fucking devil, man. That they're going to maximize every single thing. I think the question of can we use the DPA to somehow make a lot more vaccines turns out to be a far trickier question, something I've delved uh, pretty deeply into. The problem there is that these are complicated vaccines to make. And you can't just have somebody else step in and make these mRNA vaccines uh, without a lot of technical expertise and very specialized equipment, much of which comes from countries outside the United States. A lot of it comes from Germany, for instance. So there are going to be challenges to ramping up a lot more production. I do think the Biden team is definitely going to try to do that. Uh, we will see what's possible. But there are going to be some technical limitations that'll make it hard for us to, let's just say, start producing tens of millions of these vaccines every day. I think that's not going to be possible just because of technical challenges. I mean, it raises very... I wonder what's going on with the... What about the uh, kids in cages? What's going on with the kids in cages? What's going on with the 666 missing children that were stolen and torn away from their parents and kidnapped. Very interesting questions when it's not only the United States, but a massive shortage in the world of vaccines. I think, um, what did the, was it the World Health Organization said of the 46 countries that are now vaccinating their populations at whatever speed, only one of them is a low-income country. So these vaccines have to get out all over. Um, I was just going back years in Health Affairs, the magazine, um, to uh, an article that talked about a little-known law codified as 28 U.S.C. Section 1498 that could allow the federal government to substantially lower prices for high-cost drugs, allowing uh, the government the right to use patented inventions without permission while paying the patent holder reasonable and entire compensation, um, assessing uh, the article assesses the potential for the federal government to invoke it to make important new high-cost therapies widely available to patients. Now, this is well before the pandemic. But, and you're saying, well, it's difficult, but you already have, um, is it the factory in Belgium that they had to stop because they have big problems with the manufacture of the vaccine? I mean, there are factories all over the country that have been shut down. Uh, pushing harder on this, is it that, well, they have to be just made very carefully or because of the you know, capitalist system that we work in, that it, there is this sort of sacrosanct, we will not challenge the purview of these corporations when there is such a lack of um, necessary uh, vaccine right now that so many hundreds of thousands of people are dying. 
Yeah, so, so there are several points there, Amy, that are worth taking apart. I mean, one certainly is uh, that we have got to have a global strategy. I mean, this is one of the many uh, atrocious sort of policies of the Trump administration was we were the only major country, I guess, along with Russia, that wasn't part of COVAX. COVAX is the global effort uh, to get vaccinations out to people around the world. Uh, we absolutely need to re rejoin COVAX, and the Biden administration has made clear that they will. Uh, second is that there is a whole host of vaccines that are going to be possible. Uh, there's the AstraZeneca, there's Johnson & Johnson should be coming. We should see some data from them, I think, in the next few days. Um, so, so we're going to really need a global strategy. On the issue of patents, um, the issue in my mind is I don't think that the Biden administration is going to let Americans die because of uh, of a desire not to infringe patents. I think the challenge there, and if you think about it from a Moderna or a Pfizer point of view, if there were other companies that could make their product, they'd be happy to license it. There are mechanisms for doing this. I think they'd feel a lot of pressure from the U.S. government to do so. Um, I really do believe there are capacity issues on this that are not unsolvable, but I think there's been no effort to try to solve them from the previous team. And what I expect, Dr. Kessler, who's going to be running Operation Warp Speed, uh, and others in the Biden administration is to look into those questions to say, how do we put the power of the federal government towards ramping up production of these specific vaccines? And the one last thing I will say about these vaccines is because they are technically complicated, uh, you have to be very, very careful about making sure the quality is good. And that's not my way of saying only Moderna or Pfizer can do it. I think lots of companies can, but we've got to be careful that we don't uh, end up messing up the, the really high quality of these vaccines that are so important to keeping people uh, confident that the vaccines are going to be safe and effective. So I think all of this is going to be looked at, uh, but there are a set of challenges here that go beyond patent laws. Dr. Ashish Jha, you've written an article. Um, it's time to consider delaying the second dose of coronavirus vaccine. It's an op-ed that was in the Washington Post. So on what science are you basing this? We all know that both Moderna and Pfizer won't be true with Johnson & Johnson, the one shot. Um, it requires two shots. Why do you think you can get away with one shot? Usually people have a reaction to the second shot, which is what, about a month later, which suggests that bolster shot uh, is the one, the booster shot is the one that uh, basically kicks up the reaction and the immunity. Yeah. So um, as the title says, uh, it's time to consider delaying the second shot, not foregoing the second shot. Everybody needs two shots. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Uh, if you look at the data on from the clinical trials, both from Moderna and Pfizer, it's also very clear that one shot provides about 80 to 90 percent protection, uh, at least until the second shot is given. And the question in front of us is, in, in a normal situation, would we even think about delaying a second shot? No, we would just give everybody their, uh, their second shot on time. But the question that I and my colleague, Bob Walker, who co-wrote this with me, what we did is we, we spoke to a, a large number of immunologists, vaccinologists, and asked the question, if we delay the second shot by a few weeks, let's say instead of giving it at week four, we gave it at week six or week eight, what are the chances that the protection from the first shot would somehow wane dramatically after four weeks. Because again, you do have that 80 to 90% protection after the first shot. Everybody agreed that that is extremely unlikely, that, that you could delay it by at least a few weeks. And so our idea was, we have a set of vaccines sitting on shelves. Uh, let's get them out into people's arms. 
let's assume because we've done the checking that the production of the vaccines will continue to, to uh, go well. And then as the, as the new vaccines come off the production line, get everybody their second shot. Now that we have um, President Jim Jones out of the way, we should technically be able to contain the COVID, the Trump virus that he's let rage out of control um, in 120 days. That's what other countries have found that <clears throat> can be contained um, in 120 days. But uh, we really need, do need to uh, charge this arsehole with mass murder. You know what I'm thinking of that. That's it's one thing we should do. I mean, 400,000, 10, 4 to 10,000 people are dead right now because of this R space. with sadistic piece of shit. And shot. And let's do this particularly for high risk individuals, older people, people with chronic diseases. I would rather have all of those folks have their first shot, and most of them will get their second shot on time. And if a few end up getting a little bit delayed, in my mind, that is not a particularly risky thing based on the data and science. But what we know, Amy, is that if we don't do that, and if we don't vaccinate more people, given the variant, the UK variant that is circulating in the US that I think has all of us extremely concerned, we are looking at another 100,000 Americans dead in the next four to six weeks. And we're looking at things even getting worse after that. Uh, that's the alternative. And so in that context, uh, this felt like it was both science-based and it would not put people at risk uh, to delay things by a few weeks. Definitely not forego it. Definitely not delay it by many months. I'm trying to cram in so many questions, and I know you have to go in a minute, Dr. Joss. So on Thursday, President Biden signed the executive order to form a COVID-19 health equity task force. Today, I'm formalizing the health equity task force that we announced in the transition, led by the brilliant Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, who ensures that is going to ensure that equality is at the core of every decision we make. That includes addressing vaccine hesitancy and building trust in communities, as well as fighting disinformation campaigns that are already underway. I don't think people understood, Dr. Ja, that information on who was getting sick, who was dying the most, was actually not being kept for months. Is that right? That's absolutely right. So when I started off earlier saying that one of the things the executive orders I'm most pleased about is just collecting better data, it took us months to figure out that this pandemic was disproportionately impacting communities of color, people of color. Uh, one could say you could have predicted it given our known structural inequities in our society. Yeah. That's, um, we knew that early on, actually. At least uh, they did on Democracy Now. Um, but um, this guy's not bringing up the fact that fuckface Nazi ass clowns took control of the infection data and statistics. Um, instead of going to the CDC first, he wrote one of his infamous uh, executive orders, I believe, to <clears throat> make sure that the statistics go first to the White House, where they can whitewash them, where, we can, where they can um, they could uh, play them down, as they call it. 
But we didn't know. And we didn't see it until the data became clear much later. I think what we're going to see from the equity task force is far better systematic data collection, uh, making sure that our policies on vaccinations and testing uh, don't leave behind people who are disproportionately being impacted. Uh, I'm very pleased to see this. We'll see where the equity task force goes. Uh, but there's important work to do here to make sure that and, as we And very out quickly, because uh, we're we almost a minute along. over, uh, yeah. very quickly, are the variants going to lead to non-immunity with these vaccines? I think that's pretty unlikely. Um, I think certainly the UK variant looks like the vaccine is going to be effective. There is some questioning about that with the South Africa variant. But I remain very optimistic that the vaccines will be effective against the variants we have. Um, but we've got to get people vaccinated because we don't want to keep pushing our luck and having more variants pop up. Uh, the best way to stop more variants is to get the pandemic under control. Dr. Ashish, uh, thanks so much for being with us, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health, previously director of the Harvard University Global Health Institute. This is Democracy Now! Speaking about health equity, when we come back, we're going to North Dakota to the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation to talk about the decision the leaders made there to vaccinate the elders who are the keepers of the language. So not only the elders don't die, but that the languages don't die with them. Stay with us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that Michigan singing Amazing Grace Tuesday night during the COVID National Memorial uh, at the Reflecting Pool. She sings in her hospital, and so the President Biden asked her to come and sing for the country. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the quarantine report. I'm Amy Goodman. As the coronavirus death toll in the United States passes 410,000 and the vaccine rollout continues shakily across the country, we spend the rest of the hour looking at the fight to save tribal elders They're and native out. language speakers who've been devastated by the virus. Facing woefully inadequate health care, mm -hmm. lack of government. They're running out because, again, Mr. Foss. Fuckface Nazi has done, turned down 100 million doses in late July. And support and the living legacy of centuries of colonialism, tribal communities have faced staggering losses as COVID-19 rips through Indian country. 
Native Americans have died at at least twice the rate of white people across the United States. Pillars of tribal communities have been lost along with their knowledge of native languages. Jason Salzman, a spokesperson for the Muscogee Creek Nation, told the New York Times the losses were akin to a cultural book burning. To combat this crisis, the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe has prioritized elders who speak the Dakota and Lakota languages to receive the COVID vaccine. This is Tribal Health Director Margaret Gates speaking in December. We had met with tribal council and at the request of leadership as well, we added in the 65 and older and fluent speakers to be sort of first in line because usually they will come down in the sea, but we bumped them up to the top because they are our most important asset to our tribe and our people because of the language. For more on this critical issue, we're joined by three guests in Bismarck, North Dakota. Jody Orshambolt is with us. She's a citizen of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and the former special assistant to President Obama for Native American Affairs for the White House Domestic Policy Council. In Manderson, South Dakota, Alex White Plume is the former vice president and president of the Oglala Sioux Tribe of Pine Ridge Reservation. He's a Lakota interpreter. And in Standing Rock, North Dakota, Nola Taken Alive is a member of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribal Council. Both of her parents recently died of COVID-19. Her father, Standing Rock Sioux elder Jesse J. Taken Alive, was a fluent Lakota speaker and an ardent defender of the language spoken by only 2,000 people. He was just 65. We welcome all of you to Democracy Now! Nola, our condolences on the loss of both of your parents. If you can talk about them oh, with us, share their life stories. Uh, good morning. Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure um, to speak about my parents. But first of all, I want to send my condolences out to those uh, people who have also lost uh, family members and relatives and loved ones to this this ugly virus, um, virus. but uh, it's my honor again um, Call it what it is. to speak about my parents. And I want to say that my parents were very humble people and to be able to speak about them, um, I, I will try to do my best. Um, my parents, uh, I lost my mother in November of 2020 and about a month later, I lost our father um, to the virus as well. Um, they played a very important role, um, not only in my siblings and our family's lives, but also to the entire community of Standing Rock. And, you know, those would also say how important um, my dad's role had played in all of Indian country and and, and all of uh, probably North and South Dakota with his wisdom, his knowledge of the Lakota language, of treaties, of, of humanity, hu, hu, just the human issues of, you know, that my dad would bring to the forefront, you know, especially about healing. And my dad was a, the hugest advocate of not only the importance of, of being Lakota or understanding, you know, who we are as a people and the, the huge losses that we have um, suffered since, you know, time immemorial, but, you know, he continued to believe and even to his last breath, you know, people will uh, label him as a spiritual warrior 
um, which he was. Uh, both my parents were. But Nola, I wanted adding... to share the words of your father. This is Jesse okay. Taken Alive, speaking directly to young people about preserving the Lakota language. The language comes from the Creator, so it doesn't belong to one of us. The language belongs to all of us. So my message to all of the young people, the young men, the young women, the boys, the girls, this is your language. When you learn it, you're going to be able to learn more about this beautiful thing called life because that comes from the opportunity to share your feelings, to share your thoughts, to express yourself comes with our language. And I ask you to take the courage. I believe that there will be a day that all of you will talk. Finally, in closing, I ask you to do this on behalf of all of us who are older than you. Take the courage to learn the language. Jesse, taken alive, who together with his wife Cheryl were both um, uh, came down with COVID and died in the last months. When was your dad and mom diagnosed, Nola? I, I believe it started out um, in the middle of October. My dad was diagnosed first, and then about a week and a half later, my mom was diagnosed, and um, they fought hard, and you know they tried to stay with us, but. You know, it, it's a tough virus, so. I wanted to bring Jody Archambault into this conversation. Uh, she worked in the Obama White House, um, uh, also is the sister of the former uh, tribal chair, uh, David Archambault of the Standing Rock Sioux. She's speaking to us from Bismarck. Um, you were the uh, special assistant to President Obama um, for Native American Affairs for the White House Domestic Policy Council. Talk about the policy. Um, of the Standing Rock Sioux around the issue of elders and keepers of the language? Well, I think that every tribe has the ability to prioritize and make uh, preferences for who receives the virus first. And knowing that... Um, you mean the vaccine first? The vaccine, yeah, the, the vaccine, sorry. The, knowing that uh, there were... a there were a lot of elders who were at really, really high risk. This was a concern from the very beginning, from the onset of COVID. And I think that it took the leadership of the of the chairman, the tribal council, to understand um, from from just going going over uh, the the previous year's losses and what has happened um, throughout the. Um, throughout the time. And um, I'm just really proud of them because this is something that is in the, in, in the decision-making powers of every 
tribal country, tribal nation um, across the country. Mm. And I wanted to ask Nola, Taken Alive, first about your name, Taken Alive, your family's name, if you can talk about the origins of it. And then you're a member of the tribal council that decided to prioritize the elders um, who speak the Dakota and Lakota languages. And I'm wondering if you could respond to, you could tell us about the community response to that. But begin with your name, Taken Alive. Well, well, I think that there's um, there's a couple of stories that originate back to our last name, Taken Alive. Um, one of those stories being that a, um, you know, a long, long time ago, one of our ancestors was uh, what you would call a police officer or um, would, would um, you know, take those in who would, you know, do such wrongdoings in the community and would, um, instead of killing them, would take them alive. So um, it, it wasn't it wasn't a thing where we held that in honor as far as killing people. So um, that was one of the stories. Um, as far as um, prioritizing our elders, we want to make sure. And this is something that Dad always talked about. You know, as far as our language, and he'll always say that our language is spiritual. When we talk about spiritual, we talk about um, our identity of who we are. And, you know, I, I, it must be known that throughout the world that uh, Native Americans or American Indians weren't granted uh, free, Freedom of Religion Act until 1978. So if you can think about that, I was only one years old where our um, ancestors or my parents, my grandparents could actually pray um, and use our ceremonies in the open. Before that, it was outlawed. So with our ceremonies um, also was our language. And also we have to look back at the oppression that has happened to our, our people um, for generations, for centuries. And it's, you know, you think back one years old, you know, um, it wasn't, you know, until the late, uh, I want to say 70s, early 80s, when my dad actually, you know, he grew up speaking the Lakota language since he was born. You know, it was his first language, but he actually didn't um, start practicing our ceremonial ways until he was in his mid-20s, late 20s, because of, you know, how um, that 1978, again, you know, goes back to, you know, um, being able to openly and freely practice who we were or who we are. And so I just want to reiterate that because not, you know, not all of the world understands where we are, that we even belong here or that we even exist. And I think um, our, our people have been romanticized um, as far as, you know, do you still live in teepees? Do you still, you know, but you know, honestly, you know, my dad, um, I, I really am proud of him. Um, you know, my dad was a Lakota language um, teacher up until his passing at the McLaughlin School. And he actually taught from his teepee. He actually, you know, he lived in a house, but he set up his teepee outside of his house and he would set up his laptop and, you know, ran his extension cord and made sure that that spirit of the language, you know, through the teepee, through, um, because he always reiterated that the, the language is spiritual. 
So being in connection with the earth, being in connection with everything around him, he wanted to make sure that, you know, he was teaching, you know, that he was passing his knowledge on to to uh, the younger generation. So I'm really proud of that, you know, and that was just up until October. My dad was still teaching from his teepee. I wanted to bring Alex Whiteplume into this conversation, the former vice president and pre I should um, make a teepee and uh, name it in his honor. President of the Oglala Sioux Tribe of Pine Ridge Reservation, Take speaking to us teepee. from South Dakota. He is a Lakota interpreter. If you can talk about the effects of COVID-19 on your community, particularly the elders and the keepers of the culture and the language, you are an interpreter, what this means for the Lakota and Dakota languages. Sure. Good morning to everybody. I um, I was really shocked last January when we first time we heard this covert. And so my wife and I decided to isolate. And as we sat here on our land, we live out on the land. We don't live up in the housing or built up areas. Uh, certain things happened. Uh, they implemented a curfew. And then a while later, they introduced a lockdown where we were like prisoners in our own house. And me personally, I served four years in Berlin, Germany with the U.S. Army. I went to the German museum that they made for the uh, Jews that they killed. And they had to have two forms of ID, one sewed on the jacket and another paper. And, and, and uh, a few years ago, the United States passed a law where we had to have two forms of ID. So I was just yeah. sitting here and, uh, and uh, the impact on that lockdown to me was real frightening. Uh, hmm. I think they was too extreme. It seemed to me like they could have come up with more testing, exactly. bring more doctors, help people. Because this piece of shit, mass killer, neo-Nazi and thief, he refused to do, he uh, refused to allow funding for testing or COVID uh, contact tracing. So I submit that as evidence as well, that this arsehole should be locked up for being a mass killer mass murder at 400,000 Americans are dead right now because of his uh, his uh, willful and criminal neglect uh, of his duties um, to do his, do what to do something good for us to to protect us to pro and to uh, protect our our country and um, protect our constitution and and uh, this, this guy was like he was uh, not a bull in a china shop more like a steamroller in a china shop <laughs> the effect he had man pull in and go house to house and test everybody and if someone's sick isolate them there but instead, we were locked down like we were in prison. Mm -hmm. And psychologically, that really had an impact on a lot of us people that we really knew we weren't living free the way we're supposed to, but we're living in a, a like a prisoner of war camp. Mm -hmm. So it was really uh, had a. And uh, this this piece of shit Nazi. Um, that's what what he wanted. He wanted us to be all in lockdown. We can't go out. We can't socialize. Can't, nobody can, you know. No dating, um, you know, just stay stay at home while they're out and and uh, just partying it up and having a you know time of a fucking lifetime. You know, they would go to another 
town or state that um, didn't have, or that had a Republican governor and uh, no uh, mask mandates, like douchey. And they just party their ass off there and then, um, you know, spread it around and stuff, start creating mass uh, super spreader events. So call Congress to it. The government's inadequate response to rising white nationalism is a disgraceful policy failure. The problem oh, yes. is hardly new, and prosecutors have long had a multitude of criminal, criminal statutes. That's an understatement. It should be uh, considered a uh, crime scene. The border should be a crime scene, treated like a crime scene. And uh, crimes against humanity let in the international inspectors that were turned away let them investigate this as a crime against humanity it's at their disposal to confront white supremacist violence unquote to see our interview with the aclu you can go to democracynow.org in immigration news the biden administration suspended the controversial trump era remain in Thank mexico you. program that was so the cool. 2019 policy forced that's a terrorist clown who was in office for four years. He really, he was just the most sadistic, brutal piece of shit that could ever exist. There's tens of thousands of asylum seekers to wait in dangerous conditions in crowded, squalid refugee camps across northern Mexico while their cases make their way through U.S. courts. This is asylum seeker Marlene speaking to the advocacy group Pueblos Sin Fronteras, that's people without borders, about facing homelessness with her family after being sent to Mexico. We vividly remember when we arrived to the immigration office in Mexico. They didn't give us a place to sleep or anything to eat. Our children slept on the floor that night. President Biden set to sign an executive order today, speeding delivery of food aid and millions of stimulus checks to families struggling to afford rent, utilities, and groceries. On Thursday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said lawmakers would move immediately on a new COVID-19 relief bill with House passage likely in early February. They should give us um retroactive for the past 10 months to 2000 a month like other countries do in labor news the grocery delivery app instacart's laying off nearly 2000 workers including a group of employees from illinois who created the first and only union of instacart workers and inspired others across the country to organize the 10 Illinois employees were in the process of negotiating their first union contract. Mm -hmm. Instacart's reportedly offering fired workers severance pay of just $250. <laughs> in New York, Congress. Yeah, in, in the United States, unions are really busted. Ever since Reagan, he was known as a, a union buster. And uh, they, they pretty much do it like how they do every everything they they make it seem to the poorly educated that um you know they're taking handouts or they're, you know they to look down on on um welfare moms for example which is also racism former you know veiled racism
Congressmember Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez skipped President Biden's inauguration celebrations Wednesday evening to join striking workers at the Hunts Point Produce That's Market nice. in the Bronx. <laughs> workers have been on strike since Sunday demanding better poor. wages. This is a costume. You know, we should all be, all those, all these um, service industry workers, they are essential. They are, um, they're being treated like expendable though. They, all, all of those should deserve hazard pay and uh, maybe the, the government should pay for it. And then, um, you know, companies, uh, that would help the companies and uh, help the people and that would put money back into the economy. Castro Cortez speaking at the picket line outside Hunt's Market. When you're standing on this line, you're not just asking for a dollar. You are asking for transformational change for your lives and for the lives of every food worker across this country. Yeah. Of She's freaking awesome, man. Food workers across this country. Because there's a lot of things upside down right now oh. in our economy. And union members at the New Yorker magazine went on a 24-hour strike Thursday after denouncing, quote, management's egregious wage proposal and their <laughs> ongoing contract talks. According to the union, the wage proposal includes the right to decrease union members' salaries by up to 20% at any time. In a statement, unionized employees wrote, quote, we are committed to the New Yorker, which why many of us work there for years, even decades, despite low and stagnant wages, however much we may love our jobs. That love is not enough to live on, they wrote. Wow. And that's a New Yorker. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The Quarantine Report. I'm Amy Goodman. On his first full day in office, President Biden unveiled a 198-page national plan to tackle the coronavirus pandemic and ramp up vaccines as the U.S. death toll tops 410,000. This comes after President Trump left Biden with no plan for a national Absolutely vaccine. Absolutely no plan. Left. Biden signed. It says a uh, national strategy for the COVID-19 response and pandemic prepared, uh, preparedness. Ten <clears throat> executive orders to create a new national COVID-19 testing board to help schools reopen to mandate international travel. Yeah. Um, I'm for the first one, but against the second one, I, I think that we should just give the students and the um, teachers the year off and, uh, you know, give uh, give laptops to all the kids who don't have one and can't afford one. And, um, and go to more of a tutorial system like with the teachers. You know, to Zoom, um, just do tutorial. Go to tutorial, like one-on-one. -on -one. This thing, like especially little kids. You know, they they can't. Um, do that at home and uh, give them some more guidance, better guidance. I would, you know, hit me up if anybody wants. I, I I'm an Oxford and Berkeley and Tucker Medical University honors graduate and a teacher for m many, many years, a couple decades, all different ages. 
and um, I like to teach um, ESL uh, in other countries so I can learn their language in my free time. Travelers to quarantine upon arrival and to require masks on many forms of interstate transportation. Another order creates a... But no national mandate for masks. It, you know, what a chicken. What's so, what's so hard about just saying, like, no mask, no fucking service, periods, anywhere, any public place, wear a fucking mask, or you get fined. Find them. Even if, like, 20 bucks, then they have to, you know, you get a fine, at least. Some kind of deterrence. Some, you know, not too much. Well, I mean... Just like to just it's a slap on the wrist, but it's a, you know just to get them to fucking wear a mask. But actually, yeah, it should be more, at least seventy-five bucks, maybe maybe hundred bucks, hundred bucks. If you're not wearing a mask in a public place, to shit, and the, the you know nobody's modeling. I see a lot of people. And it slips below their nose. Even in Congress, I've seen, seen some of our legislators letting it slip down. <clears throat> and um, there was a Republican who got COVID after he was photographed at a, like one of these White House super spreader events. The COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force. Biden also invoked the Defense Production Act to increase COVID-19 testing and the production of vaccine supplies. Today, I'm signing the executive action to use the Defense Production Act and all other available authorities. Which is good. This, and now, this should have been done like a year ago, the Defense Production Act. But, but fuckface Nazi ass clown refused to do that. And that's um, the Defense Production Act is used to uh, use industries, you know, basically their uh, mass production lines, and uh, to say make it millions of masks in a very short period of time. And that's exactly what Taiwan did, actually. That's what they did. They um, totally ramped up production. And they were, they actually gave masks to, they gave us a million masks. Very, <clears throat> Taiwan's awesome. Direct all federal agencies and private industry to accelerate the making of everything that needs to protect, test, vaccinate, and take care of our people. President Biden said a wartime effort is needed to combat the virus. Our national yep. plan launches a full-scale wartime effort to address the supply shortages by ramping up production and protective equipment, syringes, and able, you name it. When I say wartime, people kind of look at me like wartime. Well, as I said last night, four yeah, instead of a war on poverty or, or a war on drugs, or any war, just like uh, defund the Pentagon right now. No, we're not fighting. Nobody's fighting. Americans have died. That's more than have died in all of World War II. We will 
still make sure that science and public scientists and public health experts will speak directly to you. That's why you're going to hear a lot more from Dr. Fauci again, but not from the president, but from the real genuine experts and scientists. We're going to make sure they work free from political interference and they make decisions strictly based on science and health care alone. Science and health alone, not what the political consequences are. The honest truth is we're still in a dark winter of this pandemic. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to take many months to get where we need to be. On Thursday, the nation's top infectious disease, Dr. Anthony Fauci, Many months. Uh, it's going to take him many months. Um, but like if they did it effectively, like model it on what other countries did. To, uh, they found that they it can be contained in 120 days, but you have to do like intensive um, contact tracing and testing, uh, effective testing. And uh, it's just been... Um, Helter Skelter. Fauci spoke to reporters at the White House and was asked about the difference between working under President Trump and President Biden. I don't want to be going back, you know, over history, but it is very clear that there were things that were said, uh, be it regarding things like hydroxychloroquine and other things yeah, like that. Yeah, shooting it up. That really was. He should have been fucking dragged off the stage, first of all, and second of all, removed immediately and sent, you know. Removed, removed immediately, impeached. That's in, to to suggest that a president to suggest that. That's pure insanity. That that would that's a perfect example of fucking insanity. To suggest that people shoot up. Um, Lysol was it? It was an uncomfortable because they were not based on scientific fact. I can tell you, I I take no pleasure at all in being in a situation of contradicting the president. So it of course, was... actually, I had um, urged him to resign. Resign so he could become a whistleblower. Tell what, you know, this, this, because uh, people, hundreds of thousands, 400,000 lives were at stake. It was really something that you didn't feel that you could actually say something and there wouldn't be any repercussions about it. The yeah, idea yeah, that you can quit. get- I don't understand why he didn't do that. Just quit so he can tell us the truth. It's like, uh, fuck him. He's a petty criminal and thug. He's the thug. You know, he's always talking about other people being thugs. No, that's him. He's pr he projects all the time. It's called projecting. And get up here and talk about what you know, what the evidence, what the science is, and know that's it. Let the science speak. It is somewhat of a liberating feeling. To talk more about the Biden administration's COVID plan, we're joined by Dr. Ashish Shah, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health, previously the director of Harvard University's Global Health Institute. Dr. Jha, welcome back to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us. Can you respond to the series of executive orders that President Biden has just um, unveiled and signed in his first days in office? What by the way, um, some of these would be executive or executive orders that I would uh, I would also sign if I were president. Oh, significant. Presidents. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for having me on. Um, 
you know, if you look at the whole package of activities, it just feels like the federal government is back. The federal government is going to play a constructive and helpful role in this pandemic. This is Dr. Ashish Jha from the university. And the pandemic response. And that's critical because the strategy under the Trump team was let every state figure it out on their own and let the, and the federal government was largely absent. Uh, there's a series of things here that I think are really important. One of them that has got very little attention is the executive order just to start collecting data in a more systematic way. You know, data is the lifeblood of any pandemic response. And we have been hampered by lack of good federal data. We're going to start doing that. But obviously, there's so much more than that. Rejoining WHO, uh, getting our Defense Production Act uh, powers for testing and, and vaccinations. So I'm pretty pleased with the whole package. It's straightforward. It's basic public health. I don't mean to denigrate it by calling it basic public health, but it's it's sort of science-driven stuff that I wish we had had a year ago. So let's talk about what's happening right now in this country. Uh, you have, what, more than 900,000 vaccines being administered every day, which sounds like a lot, but in fact is not. Here in New York, people are waiting in the freezing cold hour after hour to get a vaccine. They'll sign up for an appointment. They'll get an appointment for a pass date or they'll get an appointment. And then that appointment is canceled because they're running out because fuckface Nazi asked him to turn down 100 million doses in um, late July. So blame Trump. Hashtag blame Trump and call your Congress member uh, members and impeachment managers and insist that they remove immediately they should have removed this asshole like he should never have been able to run for office he bankrupted casinos who the fuck bankrupts casinos man <laughs> well, clearly running out of vaccines not only in new york but around the country can you explain what the use of the Defense Production Act, what so many were calling on Trump to invoke month after month, what it actually could mean? And remember, if you remember, you know, through this sheer storm of, of uh, treachery and malevolence, but uh, not only did he uh, turn down funding Remember, he just turned down funding and he was told the hospitals that they were they were lying that they needed that many um, um, not breathalyzers, uh, ventilators, such that in the bedtime. But um, <clears throat> and uh, you know he told. He knew, he knew in advance there was ev there's evidence of the Bob Woodward call February 7th um, that is not a not a regular uh, not a regular flu passed through the air so therefore you would need to wear a mask fuckers and that five uh, percent death rate and uh, what was the other thing? another thing but uh, then he told the public that it was it was just a democratic hoax if somebody said how irresponsible is that um you'd have to admit that you know, that's an understatement
some of the irresponsible. It's it's like mass murder. You know, he should be tried for mass murder for all the shit that he did. This guy should be, uh, you know, make use of the the capital punishment that he brought back. And sedition. Ten years for sedition. Give him a taste of his, you know, give him a taste of his own medicine. He's the one that uh, made that that rule. That's a good one for him. We're talking about what he did. Yeah, ten years in prison. That's mm, that's lenient, I would say. I think he should be held responsible for the deaths of those five his supporters. He's never even said sorry. His they're his fucking radicalized supporters that he that he had um radicalized down right down the street from the Congress January sixth. You know, for weeks he he told everybody to come to DC, it's gonna be wild because they're certifying the election results. He wants the, he wanted them there to overturn to to um to fucking overthrow the government and subvert uh, subvert the elections and, and um they were going to fucking hang la uh, live tweets and hang Nancy Pelosi and hang Mike Pence. The fucking his own vice president. He sicked his his uh, arms tra arms insurrectionists of uh, brainwashed traitors to fight but a uh, combat uh, trial by combat as Giuliani said and all these all these fuckers all these fuckers have to be locked up all of them or we won't be able to do, do anything we just lock up maybe one or two of them. It's not really good enough. We need we need to lock up like a hundred twenty, uh, at least. I would say I'll, I heard a hundred thirty eight. There were like a hundred thirty eight people signed on to that that uh, specious lawsuit. Um, in another state. So it was, it was just, th it was thrown out on jurisdiction grounds. It's just totally, you know, ridiculous, uh, attempt to, uh, uh, like create a show trial sort of situation where it looked like he was sued. He, he sued, he, he, uh, they filed 60 lawsuits, right? But there was absolutely zero evidence except for one post-it note. That was their only evidence. One fucking post-it note. Swear to God. Swear to God. Everybody call Congress. Get off your fat, lazy ass. There's 60 million of you unemployed anyway. It's not like you have anything better to do. Turn it into a, a civics course as well. You know, as a teacher. Uh, this is a perfect opportunity to, to kind of, uh, not politicize your kids. Uh, to introduce them to, uh, you know, making these adult decisions to that affect millions and millions and millions of people. <clears throat> you know, one good, one good thing to ask your kids right now, by the way, would be, what would you do if you were president? What do you think? What do you think this country needs? Or 
um, and uh, and have them call their your reps uh, 202-224-312 and turn this into a uh, turn this into a teaching teaching uh, moment where you know our congress members need to hear from us too you know they need to hear this we're the majority the majority of americans are uh fucking sane most americans are fucking sane okay they are at least like 70 percent and uh well maybe there's like 10 percent assholes <clears throat> still assholes <clears throat> And it might be have improved uh, after four years of a fucking neo-Nazi and thief, neo-Nazi traitor that uh, incited insurrection at the end of his end of his uh, disastrous fucking one term. The most unpopular president in history never um, hit fifty percent. Um, approval rating never and uh, he's the only president who never reached a 50 even a 50 percent approval rating and so that shows you it was a fucking stolen election it was stolen it was, it was stolen by the by him and the russians and it was also stolen by the dnc <laughs> so it gets very uh complicated and if we don't have this um this shows us one of the main lessons I've learned from this is um, you know our democracy is like living on borrowed time anyway there's so many holes in it like the executives too powerful um, and uh, the, the financial institutions and the bank stores have too much power and um, and uh, the the workers don't have any fucking you know rights and they're we're all being forced to live into poverty and they, they they haven't raised the raised salaries according to inflation for like 40 50 years so we're living on you know they never they never make it, uh, inflation adjustments so that makes us poor and poor and less able to uh, you know survive based on a, a paycheck which is you know seven that's that's like starvation wages it's like seven bucks seven bucks an hour some places still in the states um so yeah let's get back to the news could companies and factories that have been closed down this also involves employment for people going back to fdr a kind of entire public program of actually making these vaccines or parts of the vaccines either the chemicals or uh, the actual um, not only the ingredients but the what's needed in making the needles and the vaccines yeah absolutely so um, first of all the reason yeah, we those long lines and canceled appointments is because of uh, the approach that the Trump administration took uh, through Operation Warp Speed. Operation Warp Speed did have its successes, but also in Operation the last Warp month, Speed. 
the only reason he wanted it to be uh, it's a couple of days before the election, so he would hopefully get a boost from that. I mean, maybe he did. Probably did. But actually, he he uh, he didn't come through with it. Um, and nobody, nobody called him on, calls him on that. Like he said, he was gonna, uh, there was gonna be a vaccine out a couple days before the election. And that did, uh, that was a lie too. He lied to us about it. it. Came actually came out after the election. Mine, uh, they did a terrible job of communicating to states how many vaccines people were gonna get. So states would be told, okay, you're gonna get a hundred thousand vaccines. Uh, you know, in, in five days, and then two days before the delivery, uh, that would be canceled or would be changed. Made planning for this stuff incredibly uh, difficult. What the Defense Production Act can definitely do is help with up. all of the things that go into getting a vaccine into somebody's arms. So it's not just about the vaccine ingredient itself. It is about the vials. It is about the syringes. The way that these vials are filled, we can often get an extra dose out of them if we have the right vial and the right syringe for this. Just really simple, basic stuff that the Trump administration paid very little attention to, uh, that uh, Mr. Biden's team, President Biden's team, has been very clear. That's a huge understatement. You know, we need to stop using these uh, understatements to describe what the fuck just happened to us. We got raped, raped. By the fucking devil, man. They're, they're going to maximize every single thing. I think the question of can we use the DPA to somehow make a lot more vaccines turns out to be a far trickier question, something I've delved uh, pretty deeply into. The problem there is that these are complicated vaccines to make. And you can't just have somebody else step in and make these mRNA vaccines uh, without a lot of technical expertise and very specialized equipment much of which comes from countries outside the United States. A lot of it comes from Germany, for instance. So there are going to be challenges to ramping up a lot more production. I do think the Biden team is definitely going to try to do that. Uh, we will see what's possible. But there are going to be some technical limitations that will make it hard for us to, let's just say, start producing tens of millions of these vaccines every day. I think that's not going to be possible just because of technical challenges. I mean, it raises very... I wonder what's going on with the... What about the uh, kids in cages? going on with the kids in cages what's going on with the 666 missing children that were stolen and torn away from their parents and kidnapped apparently. very interesting questions when it's not only the united states but a massive shortage in the world of vaccines i think um what did the was it the world health organization said of the 46 countries that are now vaccinating their populations at whatever speed only one of them is a low-income country so these vaccines have to get out all over. Um, I was just going back years in Health Affairs, the magazine, um, to uh, an article that talked about a little-known law codified as 28 U.S.C. Section 1498 that could allow the federal government to substantially lower prices for high-cost drugs, allowing uh, the government the right to use patented inventions without permission while paying the patent holder reasonable and entire compensation, um, assessing uh, the article assesses the potential for the federal government to invoke it to make important new high-cost therapies widely available 
two patients. Now, this is well before the pandemic. But, and you're saying, well, it's difficult, but you already have, um, is it the factory in Belgium that they had to stop because they have big problems with the manufacture of the vaccine? I mean, there are factories all over the country that have been shut down. Uh, pushing harder on this, is it that, well, they have to be just made very carefully or because of the you know, capitalist system that we work in, that it, there is this sort of sacrosanct, we will not challenge the purview of these corporations when there is such a lack of um, necessary uh, vaccine right now that so many hundreds of thousands of people are dying. Yeah, so, so there's several points there, Amy, that are worth taking apart. I mean, one certainly is, uh, that we have got to have a global strategy. I mean, this is one of the many atro uh, atrocious sort of policies of the Trump administration was we were the only major country, I guess, along with Russia, that wasn't part of COVAX. COVAX is the global effort uh, to get vaccinations out to people around the world. Uh, we absolutely need to re rejoin COVAX, and the Biden administration has made clear that they will. Uh, second is that there is a whole host of vaccines that are going to be possible uh, there's the AstraZeneca, there's Johnson & Johnson should be coming. We should see some data from them, I think, in the next few days. Um, so, so we're going to really need a global strategy. On the issue of patents, um, the issue in my mind is I don't think that the Biden administration is going to let Americans die because of, uh, of a desire not to infringe patents. I think the challenge there, and if you think about it from a Moderna or a Pfizer point of view, if there were other companies that could make their product, they'd be happy to license it. There are mechanisms for doing this. I think they feel a lot of pressure from the U.S. government to do so. Um, I really do believe there are capacity issues on this that are not unsolvable, but I think there's been no effort to try to solve them from the previous team. And what I expect, Dr. Kessler, who's going to be running Operation Warp Speed, uh, and others in the Biden administration, is to look into those questions to say, how do we put the power of the federal government towards ramping up production of these specific vaccines? And the one last thing I will say about these vaccines is because they are technically complicated, uh, you have to be very, very careful about making sure the quality is good. And that's not my way of saying only Moderna or Pfizer can do it. I think lots of companies can, but we've got to be careful that we don't uh, end up messing up the, the really high quality of these vaccines that are so important to keeping people uh, confident that the vaccines are going to be safe and effective. So I think all of this is going to be looked at, uh, but there are a set of challenges here that go beyond patent laws. Dr. Ashish Jha, you've written an article. Um, it's time to consider delaying the second dose of coronavirus vaccine. It's an op-ed that was in the Washington Post. So on what science are you basing this? We all know that both Moderna and Pfizer won't be true with Johnson & Johnson, the one shot. Um, it requires two shots. Why do you think you can get away with one shot? Usually people have a reaction to the second shot, which is what, about a month later, which suggests that bolster shot uh, is the one, the booster shot is the one that uh, basically kicks up the reaction and the immunity. Yeah. So um, as the title says, uh, it's time to consider delaying the second shot, not foregoing the second shot. Everybody needs two shots. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Uh, if you look at the data on from the clinical trials, both from Moderna and Pfizer, it's also very clear that one shot provides about 80 to 90 percent protection, uh, at least until the second shot is given. And the question in front of us is, in, in a normal situation, 
would we even think about delaying a second shot? No, we would just give everybody their, uh, their second shot on time. But the question that I and my colleague Bob Walker, who co-wrote this with me, what we did is we, we spoke to a, a large number of immunologists, vaccinologists, and asked the question, if we delay the second shot by a few weeks, let's say instead of giving it at week four, we gave it at week six or week eight, what are the chances that the protection from the first shot would somehow wane dramatically after four weeks? Because again, you do have that 80 to 90 percent protection after the first shot. Everybody agreed that that is extremely unlikely, that, that you could delay it by at least a few weeks and so our idea was we have a set of vaccines sitting on shelves. Uh, let's get them out into people's arms. Let's assume because we've done the checking that the production of the vaccines will continue to, to uh, go well. And then as the, as the new vaccines come off the production line, get everybody their second shot. Now that we have um, President Jim Jones out of the way, we should technically be able to contain the COVID the Trump virus that he's let rage out of control um, in 120 days. That's what other countries have found that <clears throat> can be contained um, in 120 days. But uh, we really need, do need to uh, charge this arsehole with mass murder. You know, I'm thinking of that. That's it's one thing we should do. I mean. 400,000, 4 to 10,000 people are dead right now because of this R-space with sadistic piece of shit. Second shot. And let's do this particularly for high-risk individuals, older people, people with chronic diseases. I would rather have all of those folks have their first shot, and most of them will get their second shot on time, and if a few end up getting a little bit delayed, in my mind, that is not a particularly risky thing based on the data and science. But what we know, Amy, is that if we don't do that, and if we don't vaccinate more people, given the variant, the UK variant that is circulating in the US that I think has all of us extremely concerned, we are looking at another 100,000 Americans dead in the next four to six weeks. And we're looking at things even getting worse after that. Uh, that's the alternative. And so in that context, uh, this felt like it was both science-based and it would not put people at risk uh, to delay things by a few weeks. Definitely not forego it definitely not delay it by many months. I'm trying to cram in so many questions, and I know you have to go in a minute, Dr. Just. So on Thursday, President Biden signed the executive order to form a COVID-19 health equity task force. Today, I'm formalizing the health equity task force that we announced in the transition, led by the brilliant Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, who ensures that is going to ensure that equality is at the core of every decision we make. That includes addressing vaccine hesitancy and building trust in communities, as well as fighting disinformation campaigns that are already underway. I don't think people understood, Dr. Ja, that information on who was getting sick, who was dying the most, was actually not being kept for months. Is that right? That's absolutely right. So when I started off earlier saying that one of the things the executive orders I'm most pleased about is just collecting better data, it took us months to figure out that this pandemic was disproportionately impacting communities of color, people of color. Uh, one could say you could have predicted it given our known structural inequities in our society. Yeah, that's, um, we knew that early on, actually. At least uh, they did on Democracy Now. Um, but uh, this guy's not bringing up the fact 
that fuckface Nazi ass clown took control of the infection data and statistics um, instead of going to the CDC first he wrote one of his infamous uh, executive orders I believe to <clears throat> make sure that the statistics go first to the White House where they can whitewash them where, we can, where they can um, they could uh, play them down as they call it but we didn't know, and we didn't see it until the data became clear much later. I think what we're going to see from the equity task force is far better systematic data collection, uh, making sure that our policies on vaccinations and testing uh, don't leave behind people who are disproportionately being impacted. Uh, I'm very pleased to see this. We'll see where the equity task force goes, uh, but there's important work to do here to make sure that and, as we and very out quickly because uh, we're we almost a minute along. over. Uh, yeah. Very quickly. Are the variants going to lead to non-immunity with these vaccines? I think that's pretty unlikely. Um, I think certainly the UK variant looks like the vaccine is going to be effective. There is some questioning about that with the South Africa variant. But I remain very optimistic that the vaccines will be effective against the variants we have. Um, but we've got to get people vaccinated because we don't want to keep pushing our luck and having more variants pop up. Uh, the best way to stop more variants is to get the pandemic under control. Dr. Ashish, uh, thanks so much for being with us, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health, previously director of the Harvard University Global Health Institute. This is Democracy Now! Speaking about health equity, when we come back, we're going to North Dakota to the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation to talk about the decision the leaders made there to vaccinate the elders who are the keepers of the language. So not only the elders don't die, but that the languages don't die with them. Stay with us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that Michigan singing Amazing Grace Tuesday night during the COVID National Memorial uh, at the Reflecting Pool. She sings in her hospital, and so the President Biden asked her to come and sing for the country. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the quarantine report. I'm Amy Goodman. As the coronavirus death toll in the United States passes 410,000, 
and the vaccine rollout continues shakily across the country. We spend the rest of the hour looking at the fight to save tribal elders and native language speakers who've been devastated by the virus. Facing woefully inadequate health care, lack of government. They're running out because, again, Mr. Fuckface, Nazi has done, turned down 100 million doses in late July. Support and the living legacy of centuries of colonialism. Tribal communities have faced staggering losses as COVID-19 rips through Indian country. Native Americans have died at at least twice the rate of white people across the United States. Pillars of tribal communities have been lost along with their knowledge of native languages. Jason Salzman, a spokesperson for the Muscogee Creek Nation, told the New York Times the losses were akin to a cultural book burning. To combat this crisis, the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe has prioritized elders who speak the Dakota and Lakota languages to receive the COVID vaccine. This is Tribal Health Director Margaret Gates speaking in December. We had met with tribal council and at the request of leadership as well, we added in the 65 and older and fluent speakers to be sort of first in line because usually they will come down in the sea, but we bump them up to the top because they are our most important asset to our tribe and our people because of the language. For more on this critical issue, we're joined by three guests in Bismarck, North Dakota. Jody Orshambolt is with us. She's a citizen of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and the former special assistant to President Obama for Native American Affairs for the White House Domestic Policy Council. In Manderson, South Dakota, Alex White Plume is the former vice president and president of the Oglala Sioux Tribe of Pine Ridge Reservation. He's a Lakota interpreter. And in Standing Rock, North Dakota, Nola Taken Alive is a member of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribal Council. Both of her parents recently died of COVID-19. Her father, Standing Rock Sioux Elder Jesse J. Taken Alive, was a fluent Lakota speaker and an ardent defender of the language spoken by only 2,000 people. He was just 65. We welcome all of you to Democracy Now! NOLA, our condolences on the loss of both of your parents. If you can talk about them with us, share their life stories. Uh, Good morning. Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure um, to speak about my parents. But first of all, I want to send my condolences out to those people who have also lost uh, family members and relatives and loved ones to this this ugly virus. Um, virus. But uh, it's my honor, again, um, Call it what it is. to speak about my parents. And I want to say that my parents were very humble people. And to be able to speak about them, um, I, I will try to do my best. Um, my parents, uh, I lost my mother in November of 2020. And about a month later, I lost our father um, to the virus as well. Um, they played a very important role, um, not only in my siblings and our family's lives, but also to the entire community of Standing Rock. And, you know, those would also say how important, um, my dad's role had played in all of Indian country and 
and and all of uh, probably North and South Dakota with his wisdom, his knowledge of the Lakota language, of treaties, of of humanity, hu, hu, just the human issues of you know that my dad would bring to the forefront, you know, especially about healing. And my dad was a the hugest advocate of not only the importance of of being Lakota or understanding, you know, who we are as a people and the, the huge losses that we have um, suffered since, you know, time immemorial. But, you know, he continued to believe and even to his last breath, you know, people will uh, label him as a spiritual warrior, um, which he was. Uh, both my parents were but Nola, I wanted adding. to share the words of your father. This is Jesse okay. Taken Alive, speaking directly to young people about preserving the Lakota language. The language comes from the Creator, so it doesn't belong to one of us. The language belongs to all of us. So my message to all of the young people, the young men, the young women, the boys, the girls, this is your language. When you learn it, you're going to be able to learn more about this beautiful thing called life because that comes from Wakatanka. The opportunity to share your feelings, to share your thoughts, to express yourself comes with our language. And I ask you to take the courage. I believe that there will be a day that all of you will talk. Finally, in closing, I ask you to do this on behalf of all of us who are older than you. Take the courage to learn the language. Jesse, taken alive, who together with his wife Cheryl were both um, uh, came down with COVID and died in the last months. When was your dad and mom diagnosed, Nola? I, I believe it started out um, in the middle of October. My dad was diagnosed first, and then about a week and a half later, my mom was diagnosed, and um, they fought hard, and you know they tried to stay with us, but. You know, it, it's a tough virus, so. I wanted to bring Jody Archambault into this conversation. Uh, she worked in the Obama White House, um, uh, also is a sister of the former uh, tribal chair, uh, David Archambault of the Standing Rock Sioux. She's speaking to us from Bismarck. Um, you were the uh, special assistant to President Obama um, for Native American Affairs for the White House Domestic Policy Council. Talk about the policy. Um, of the Standing Rock Sioux around the issue of elders and keepers of the language? Well, I think that every tribe has the ability to prioritize and make uh, preferences for who receives the virus first. And knowing that— um, You mean the vaccine first? The vaccine, yeah, the, the vaccine, sorry. 
that knowing that uh, there were a there were a lot of elders who were at really, really high risk. This was a concern from the very beginning, from the onset of COVID. And I think that it took the leadership of the of the chairman, the tribal council, to understand um, from from just going going over uh, the the previous year's losses and what has happened um, throughout the. Um, throughout the time. And um, I'm just really proud of them because this is something that is in the, in, in the decision-making powers of every tribal, tribal nation um, across the country. Mm. And I wanted to ask Nola Taken Alive, first about your name, Taken Alive, your family's name, if you can talk about the origins of it. And then you're a member of the tribal council that decided to prioritize the elders um, who speak the Dakota and Lakota languages. And I'm wondering if you could respond to, you could tell us about the community response to that. But begin with your name, Taken Alive. Well, well I think that there's, um, there's a couple of stories that originate back to our last name, Taken Alive. Um, one of those stories being that a, um, you know, a long, long time ago, one of our ancestors was uh, what you would call a police officer or um, would, would um, you know, take those in who would, you know, do such wrongdoings in the community and would, um, instead of killing them, would take them alive. So um, it, it wasn't it wasn't a thing where we held that in honor as far as killing people. So um, that was one of the stories. Um, as far as um, prioritizing our elders, we want to make sure. And this is something that Dad always talked about. You know, as far as our language, and he'll always say that our language is spiritual. When we talk about spiritual, we talk about um, our identity of who we are. And, you know, I, I, it must be known that throughout the world that uh, Native Americans or American Indians weren't granted uh, free, Freedom of Religion Act until 1978. So if you can think about that, I was only one years old where our um, ancestors or my parents, my grandparents could actually pray um, and use our ceremonies in the open. Before that, it was outlawed. So with our ceremonies um, also was our language. And also we have to look back at the oppression that has happened to our, our people um, for generations, for centuries. And it's, you know, you think back one years old, you know, um, it wasn't, you know, until the late, uh, I want to say 70s, early 80s, when my dad actually, you know, he grew up speaking the Lakota language since he was born. He, you know, it was his first language, but he actually didn't um, start practicing our, our ceremonial ways until he was in his mid-20s, late 20s, because of, you know, how um, that 1978, again, you know, goes back to, you know, um, being able to openly and freely practice who we were or who we are. And so I just want to reiterate that because not, you know, not all of the world understands where we are, that we even belong here or that we even exist. And I think um, our, our people have been romanticized 
um, as far as, you know, do you still live in teepees? Do you still, you know, but, you know, honestly, you know, my dad, um, I, I really am proud of him. Um, you know, my dad was a Lakota language um, teacher up until his passing at the McLaughlin School. And he actually taught from his teepee. He actually, you know, wow. he lived in a house, but he set up his teepee outside of his house and he would set up his laptop and, you know, <laughs> ran his extension cord and made sure that that spirit of the language, you know, through the teepee, through, um, because he always reiterated that the, the language is spiritual. So being in connection with the earth, being in connection with everything around him, he wanted to make sure that, you know, he was teaching, you know, that he was passing his knowledge on to, to uh, the younger generation. So I'm really proud of that, you know, and that was just up until October, my dad was still teaching from his teepee. I wanted to bring Alex Whiteplume into this well, conversation, the former vice president and I should um, make a teepee and uh, name it in his honor. President of the Oglala Sioux Tribe of Pine Ridge Reservation, Take speaking to us from South Dakota. He is a Lakota interpreter. If you can talk about the effects of COVID-19 on your community, particularly the elders and the keepers of the culture and the language, you are an interpreter, what this means for the Lakota and Dakota languages. Sure. Good morning to everybody. I um, I was really shocked last January when we first time we heard this covert. And so my wife and I decided to isolate. And as we sat here on our land, we live out on the land. We don't live up in the housing or built up areas. Uh, certain things happened. Uh, they implemented a curfew. And then a while later, they introduced a lockdown where we were like prisoners in our own house. And me personally, I served four years in Berlin, Germany with the U.S. Army. I went to the German museum that they made for the uh, Jews that they killed. And they had to have two forms of ID, one sewed on the jacket and another paper. And, and, and uh, a few years ago, the United States passed a law where we had to have two forms of ID. So I was just yeah. sitting here and, uh, and uh, the impact on that lockdown to me was real frightening. Um, hmm. I think they was too extreme. It seemed to me like they could have come up with more testing, exactly. bring more doctors, help people. Because this piece of shit, mass killer, neo-Nazi and thief, he refused to do, he uh, refused to allow funding for testing or COVID uh, contact tracing. So I submit that as evidence as well, that this arsehole should be locked up for being a mass killer mass murder at 400,000 Americans are dead right now because of his uh, his uh, willful and criminal neglect uh, of his duties um, to do his, do what to do something good for us to to protect us to pro and to uh, protect our our country and um protect our constitution and and uh this, this guy was like he was uh not a bull in a china shop more like a steamroller in a china shop <laughs> the effect he had man pull in and go house to house and test everybody and if someone's sick isolate them there 
but instead we were locked down like we were in prison mm -hmm. and psychologically that really had an impact on a lot of us people that we really knew we weren't living free the way we're supposed to but we're living in a um, like a prisoner of war camp mm -hmm. so it was really uh had an and uh this this piece of shit nazi um that's what, what he wanted he wanted us to, to be all in lockdown we can't go out we can't socialize can't, nobody can you know no dating um you know just stay stay at home while they're out and and uh, just partying it up and having a you know time of a fucking lifetime you know they would go to another town or state that um didn't have or that had a republican governor and uh no uh mask mandates like douchey and they just party their ass off there and then um you know, spread it around and stuff, start creating mass uh, super spreader event. So call Congress to <coughs> Hey! Get out of there! Hey, go the other way! Get! Get! Go!